This is the Voice of America coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. Who will win, capitalists or socialists? Are there any other alternatives? This is what we'll deal with in the American Enterprise Manifesto, a book written by Jerry L. Rhodes. The book delves into the possibilities of a third party. Based upon what we've received from the socialists and the capitalists with respect to the evolution of American society and American politics is embodied in the current financial financial situation that we're facing in America. The facts about where we are and where we're going as far as the financial uh, uh, statements for our country, they have, up till now they have been presented to us in a cooked books format. The reality is, is that the current $22 trillion debt uh, and deficit are understated by $100 trillion because the obligations for pensions, uh, government pensions, Medicare, Medicaid, and certain other uh, entitlement programs are not on the books. They are only recorded as paid. So we don't have uh, a set of financial statements or information that are on the generally accepted accounting basis. It's because we're um, only reporting on an institutional basis, which is limited to a budgetary system of cash disbursements and cash receipts. We're running the government like it was a corner drugstore. Um, so in the book, The American Enterprise Manifesto, I as a CPA will map out where we are and where this is taking us financially and politically. This is uh, episode 16. Restore the great American work ethic. Where, oh, where has it gone? Using the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which we'll call risk, as the building blocks for ethical wants, we'll call that rewards. The meaning and remaining eight chapters cover the building blocks for a Maslow pyramid of ethical behavior and values. Chapter three, building initiative using goals, objectives, and subjectives. Chapter four, building security within and without an all lives matter environment. Chapter five, building your own work ethic for remembrance to those that follow you. Chapter six, building your role in preserving America, the beautiful and bountiful. Chapter seven, building pride 
what will be your legacy? Chapter eight, building faith, courage, and confidence when we are, when we are the most happy. Chapter nine, building staying power. How many years of prosperity is too little or enough? Chapter 10, building ethical success gives us work, gives us work or gives us debt. Success, it's ethical best. What is success? Is it the man who climbs the highest mountain or the woman who swims the widest sea? Or is it the team that somehow wins or the person who stands amid fame and fortune? Or is it possible it's you or me? Let's take a look and see. Are you good at at what you do so you take pride in living? Are you bright instead of blue? And do you get joy from giving? Are you an open book with passages to be read, inviting a passerby's look even when you're dead? Will your children be proud to say, that's my mom and dad? They helped me. They helped put me on my way and taught me good from bad. If you can honestly say these things, I feel you certainly can confess that what your life brings is an ethical success at last. That will finish up the part two of the American Enterprise Manifesto. And I would encourage you to go and read the the details of the 10 chapters. Uh, This is chapter three of part two on uh, work ethic. Where or where has it gone? This chapter is about goals versus objectives and building initiative. As Nike says, just do it. The greatest self-help books of all time tell us to have goals to achieve our objectives that we conceive and, and believe. Confusing when we are facing unemployment, foreclosure, and financial insecurity. Where do we start when there seems to be no hope? Hope standing for health offers personal energy. Self-health. Health on the on earth comes from working for what we want. The objective is to feel happy, and the goals to do so are your activity. Believe and you will receive. Give and you will achieve. Conceive and you will have hope. The mind works on this principle for all human beings. According to the Bible, the greatest minds, the richest people, the legends are from our own aspirations. The church of our existence is found in our subconscious mind, waiting to be trained in hopeful plans and feeling good about the goals we have achieved. The negative mind is not working on these levels. They are looking for outside circumstances to change so they can be positive and happy. doesn't seem to be working for inmates, criminals, porn stars, street people, addicts, and those that have given up, who have given up. How can we solve the problems that cause the loss of hope? For example, unemployment. Look for a job that pays something and then make it your purpose to be the best at that job ever. You will be rewarded for being different from everyone else that is looking for the better job, and you will be the one who gets it. Under foreclosure, tell the bank that you have a plan for paying your mortgage payments and then tell them what you're you're willing to take out of your bank account each week. 
This commits both you and the bank to finding a way to solve the problem. Financial insecurity. There is no magic formula when there is not enough to go around. According to the financial experts, who are always current on their own bills, look at the smallest possible payment solution and propose it to your credit card company, contingent on them lowering the interest rate and late charges. Then double the actual payment for six months, then request a further reduction in the periodic payments and interest rate. Also, remember that insecurity, lack of hope, and fear are lowering your capability to achieve your goals. Feeling good is your biggest asset and believing you can achieve the plan you have personally conceived. Take every every negative thought and turn it around because 85% of your worries never happen and the other 15% are, are only half as bad as you have conjured them up to be. The odds of 7.5% should not prevent you from becoming what you want to be. The following are work exercises that will earn your way out of debt. Number one, plan to love your work no matter what. Take the initiative to be the best at what you do and believe you can You can be. This can help in finding jobs as well as keeping jobs. Two, plan to believe you will solve your financial problems with specific actions at work to reduce your dependence on credit. Number three, plan to achieve your goal of being happy and healthy and prosperous in your current job. Plan to conceive ideas that will um, improve your work environment and job requirements. Five, plan to succeed at being positive regardless of the obstacles and realize the fact that you are an exceptional product of work. Can't never did anything and can invented the world and did anything and, 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 and did everything, sorry. Six, plan to age slower and more productively if you are positive about your efforts. <clears throat> My objective of honoring the work ethic changed over the years as I became the employer versus employee. I needed to be concerned about someone else's work ethic. How would I motivate another to do what I expected and when I needed it done? At first, I made it difficult because I was insecure in my own job, no doubt. So doubt was in the way. Then I realized both of us want the same thing, satisfaction, feeling of accomplishment, and earning enough to pay the bills and have some left over. And we both could accomplish our goals if we acknowledged them them, and helped each other reach them. It takes communication, cooperation, and understanding to make it work. But that is what ethical work is. The following are mental exercises to pursue a more productive and abundant life. During the day, repeat your top 10 goals and sequence of want. During the evening, read your list out loud to your spouse. Next, during the morning, thank your spiritual advisor for the top 10 solutions. During your work, mentally pursue your top 10 goals of gold. And lastly, during your retirement plans, think through how you will continue to work and play uh, the Monopsony game with your 10 goals. The Monopsony game demonstrating the power of, of the government in our lives is available through the American Enterprise Party website. Continuing, 
Chapter 4 of Part 2 Work Ethic Where Oh Where Has It Gone? What Matters Anyway? Building Security Passion Creates Desire, Desire Creates Action, Action Creates Legends. What really matters in life? Is it our past or our future? Is it our dreams or nightmares? Is it our lost loves or current mate? Is it our <coughs> job or our desire to be rich? Is it fear or our ability to turn risk into reward and hate into love? Passion is action leading to satisfaction in its use of our time. Future is forming us and reforming us to take unbelievable resources with our effort, turning it into rewards. Our past is a passion of action, satisfaction in times gone by. Our future is a passion of action, satisfaction in times to come. Without passion, the past and the future create regret and hopelessness. We all have a rap sheet. Sure, we all make mistakes and suffer the consequences. Is that pertinent to looking forward or is it to be forgotten and treated as a learning experience? The answer is up to you if you wish to make a choice. Most just accept the consequences as set in stone and do not knowingly take action to change the cause rather than the result. It matters most if we change the cause. Our future. The mind can take you there, is the evidence of the experts on new mentality, new, new mentality, um, which is really not new, but old as Methuselah. Change in circumstances and overcoming current obstacles requires courage and faith, two characteristics that are many times inherited and not developed. However, the mind of a winner is the same mind of the center, but the intention is different. The winner wants to, to better themselves, while the center wants to make things easier and more gratifying. Take your own intentions and make sure they are what you want to achieve, which does train your subconscious mind to pursue positive outcomes as its objective. The resulting goals are steps taken to be positive with the fate to act on and stay on course with the plan. Example, mounting debt, dwindling resources, loss of job, and divorce. What in the world can be positive that, that in that set of circumstances? Well, the conception of hope is that it takes the negative and puts it in a positive light or context of feeling good about what you can control. This consists of your current income, your current job, your current relationships, your talents and abilities. It's all within your state of mind. State of mind is the only future you have. Everything else is in the past. The first step to sanity is to remove that which creates fear and apprehension by looking at the current controllable, your current con controllable assets and the future plans. Starting with what you have is the most positive act you can make when all looks hopeless. Our dreams. The most used word in the English language after love is dreams. What you want for yourself is a mindful attempt to make the past better. The experts speak of 
envisioning the goal and attaining the objective, using dreams as fact and acting as if it has been achieved. Mental pictures of what is conceived are called ideas and thoughts when in fact they are visual dreams. While visualizing the future, activating can be can make the present pursuit of, pursuit of dreams into fulfilling goals. All of us use this power every day. We plan our day, we see the way with hope, and we remember our path through meditation to overcome fear of failure. Our nightmares. Fear activated in the sleeping mind creates negative images in the waking mind. Webster defines it as frightening or horrible experience, the opposite of dreams. Our memory bank stores frightening or horrible experiences and plays them back when we are at our weakest state, usually sleeping. Usually these recollections are not real, but they do scare us into not believing our daydreams. What matters is the mind can play back the other side of what we want, probably the side effect of stress in our daily life. Our love. Human beings seek out mates for more than procreation. This expresses what really matters to the existence of humanity. Anti-love, known as hate, expresses the worst of human existence. The evolution of mankind is based on the extension of love through family, faith, courage, and work. Divorce complicates the interaction of mates that seem to fall victim to hate and in reality results in a lack of love. The more we understand that finding the soulmate is in the mind, not in the heart or the libido. Our job. Schooling and education are directing us towards our dream job until we realize that we have to suffer with our aspirations being stalled in a job that may not fit our dream. This is called experience and developing a skill. Talent is the factor that must be exercised, so it does matter. It is said it takes 10,000 hours of suffering to develop talent to the extent that it matters more than desire. If, you, if we only knew when we graduate from the different levels of getting prepared that we have to decide where we are going if we expect to get there. Each job prepares us for the next level of knowing when we are there. Our desire to be rich. The American dream is to reach acclaim with the riches of success and notoriety. Or is it the ego playing out what the soul never wanted in the first place? Are the celebrities the happiest people in America? Usually not. Who are the happiest people in America? New parents, new grandparents, newlyweds, new graduates, champions, lotto winners, business sharks, and intellectuals. I would pick the top four and wonder how long it takes to find that happiness. That happiness can be fleeting and gone in a flash unless we have the first four. Last four are what we desire when we pursue wealth for the sake of being rich and forget what really matters. Risk and reward. <clears throat> life is all risk and reward, not just monetary, but life itself. Every decision we make, consciously or not, entails risk and reward. If we contemplate this fact, we probably would not live for the right reason. We would live in fear of the unknown, even though we would live less stressful lives, there would be very little purpose. 
What matters is our pursuit of health and happiness through our dreams and our work. The feeling of love brings down the reaction of hate, brings down the reaction of hate and allows us to bring our dreams into reality. This is a science of directing human behavior. It results in peace on earth. It results in successful families. It results in good health. It results in happiness and prosperity. Take the chance that feels good for your heart. Take the change that brings positive feelings to others. That is what really matters. Continuing with chapter five of part two, work ethic, where oh where has it gone? Question is, who will remember you? Well, they will by building work work ethic. Memories are made of this, a kiss, a miss, a reminisce. Most ethical movements offer respect, influence, and even satisfaction. That spells memories. All is fair in love and war. All is made of blood, skin, and hair. We are human and need to be remembered. Memories, good or bad, make us better. Mistakes made, corrections learned, for better or worse. For better or worse marriages. Are the celebrities all we remember? Are the politicians just for show or never to know? Good philosophy, but never practiced. We remember the good times and forget the bad unless it's forced upon us. The mind is the database. The subconscious is the random access instrument. The conscious mind is the retrieval software under the stress of circumstances and habits. How can we control our reactions when we have no time to think, reason, or weigh the consequences? Well, we have a memory bank based on our parents, their values, their beliefs, their experiences and hopes. Heritage of and homage to our parents do not necessarily come naturally. Much of our upbringing hinged on don'ts, don't this, don't that. So the do's were between the don'ts. Do be careful, do your best, do come home safely, do have a good day. As we go off to school, then to work, our responses are likely to be from the memory bank, not the prudent bank, not the financial bank. I now remember that my most satisfying memories were not about money or being prudent. They were from sports, grades in school, promotions at work, and a successful marriage leading to a stable family life. Was this my plan? No. Was this according to my personality? No. Was this about being right? No. It was my upbringing more than anything. Although there was little expression of love or attention in my home, there were no drunken episodes, no wild and frightening threats to my safety, no defeated feelings about the future, just very little love, very little expression of feelings. My father worked all of his life for nominal wages and little responsibility. He once told me he wanted no responsibility at work. Just put in your time and come home early was his life. My mother was just the opposite. She always wanted more and made life miserable for my dad. 
Neither had more than an eighth grade education and did not have the ambition to better that. Somehow, I had just the opposite desires. I wanted to be a risk taker, dreamer with bigger and better goals, taking more than my abilities could take me or wanting more than my abilities could take me. My mother and I always wanted to fly before I had wings. My mother said I had always wanted to fly before I had wings, which is a good start to broken dreams, but hard work also can find, can fuel persistence and eventual success. So work of any kind for me is sacred. It is an expression of my memories of feeling too short. My nickname was Tiny in high school but waning in financial accomplishments. Excuse me. In football, I was third-string quarterback, always taking on the bigger guys and would never give in to them. In basketball, my coach said, as a point guard, I dribbled too much, though I was the best shot on the team. So I was frustrated. I was the frustrated sixth man. In baseball, as a shortstop, where size did not relegate me to the bench, I excelled with my speed and desire to be the best. I was the leading hitter, leading base dealer, leading our BI guy, and our team was conference champions. After high school, organized sports were not feasible since I did not have all-star quality, so I participated in a tennis league as an A-minus player who would never give up and won more than I lost. I played in a basketball league for a few years, more as a dribbler and assist guy than a star. I played uh, in a 16-inch softball league as the right fielder. The weakest are in the right field and caught everything hit at me. No gloves allowed. The team was sponsored by the CPA firm I worked for, and we were undefeated due to our six-foot-three shortstop who could turn every play and hit the ball a mile. <clears throat> we were undefeated uh, and won the championship. At work, I was not the star, maybe reliable, but not the smartest, in my opinion, though I scored 148 once on a Mensa entrance test and 148 on a Tribune IQ test. Uh, let me uh, repeat that. At work, I was not the star, maybe reliable, but not not the smartest, in my opinion, though I scored 100 once on a Mensa entrance test and 148 on a Tribune IQ test. Accounting was the game and board was my name. So I mustered out and started my own CPA firm. Figure this out. But the work product was not the result of just numbers. I liked the use of numbers to make business decisions and credit information systems that improve the efficiency of workers and the profitability of the clients. All of this changed when my business focused on the specialty of healthcare. Healthcare clients needed automation, computerization, and improved documentation. I had an idea that we would create software that would guide the process rather than just report what had happened. So for the next 25 years, my various businesses invested millions in developing system software and methods to be able to control quality and cost, not just react to them. Enterprise entered my world in the form of raising capital and making room for innovation for sake of the elderly. My mother-in-law was in need, and my parents both had expired in a despicable nursing home. 
we were traveling all over the country converting nursing homes to restorative care using the Medicare reimbursement program that my son and I developed utilizing uh, utilizing software systems that Kip and my son had programmed that Kip my son had programmed using my understanding of the regulations and court cases that required the government to pay for restoring the patient rather than their narrow guidelines for younger and less sophisticated cases. We were helped by lawsuits that found the federal government guilty of depriving the elderly and disabled of their Medicare benefits. Under Fox v. Bowen, 1986, and recently GMO versus Sibulus, I was proven right. A legacy of attempting to make a difference in an industry misdirected, in my opinion, and teetering on imploding took us to ownership. We now own three nursing homes that are taking its toll on why our peers are not what they need to be. The force of big government is the thrust is is thrust upon a has thrust upon us full force as big government rides again. This is covered in the appendix two for the impact of government enforcement on small businesses. The challenge is the regulators. Regulators do not look at the human side of the business, only the narrow interpretations of the rules designed to keep the cost down, accusing the private sector of fraud and abuse while they misinterpret the rules and regulations to supposedly save money. See my book, Elder Side, iUniverse 2009, to restore Elder Pride Universe, iUniverse 2012 for more details. Those are what I call self-help books. The following are mental exercises to pursue, uh, to per- pursue a more productive and abundant life. And we've already covered that in the first chapter. I won't repeat that. Continuing, chapter six of part two, who will remember America, building history. Stand up for something or you will fall for anything. Save America with commitment that offers ultimate return and gains on everything, which is spells the, is an acronym for courage. Who do you vote for? Who do you respect most? Who do you like? Who do you follow? Who do you doubt? Who do, who do you dislike? All this comes from our memory bank of experience. I, for one, at times have decided to not vote because I do not respect their, their, their aversion to yes, no answers, and they just talk of issues between the parties, not solutions to problems we all, we all have as a nation and individually. So I don't like compromise at the expense of the majority, and I would follow someone of principle without a doubt. What is there to dislike? America has become, in my opinion, a country of people who feel they cannot make a difference and give in to the system, whatever that is. Our leadership is bent on conformity to their incestuous ways rather than defining our collective problems and then working on them. Technically, our form of democracy tanked twice when the Federal Reserve gambled away gambled with taxpayer assets by using high interest rates to quell what they deemed to be rampant inflection. The exchange rates hiked by the Fed in 1979 and 2000 
five, and seven. As I stressed earlier, I liken the current situation in American politics and business to the one depicted by Orwell, an animal farm where the director is run off the farm by the abused animal so the smarter boars and pigs together support to become a socialist state. Then comrades for quality, equality under communism could not meet its output quotas. Then when the farm no longer could afford to pay equal wages, it became a fascist state to control the underpaid and unpaid workers. Then due to the need to trade with their neighbors, the elite intellectual management uh, team, management team, the intellectual management teamed up with the other dictator farmers for the good of the owners, not the greater good of the worker animals. The animals were put back into servitude at the farm. Sounds strangely familiar, familiar, doesn't it? When our Congress uses the monetary resources by taking taxpayer money and gambling away our capital system, then blames our enterprise system for the problems that the Federal Reserve caused by playing Russian roulette with the member fed member bank fed funds rate for member banks, we then dissipate America's consumption-based economy to spiral downward. To correct this mistake, we need to federalize the economy with funds that flow readily, fertilize the economy with funds that flow readily downward to stop the spiral. Rather than reform the suck upward of more tax dollars or print more dollars for stimulating public service projects and corporate giants that do not increase our gross national product, we must downsize government and privatize our a, a, um, redundant institutions, our redundant institutions. As government forces resources upward, business shrinks. As resources are dispersed downward, business thrives. Otherwise, an authoritarian government will blame the people for non-performance and punish them for non-conformance, then annihilate them for insubordination. Therefore, we need to reform government using the principles of enterprise and the work ethic above our desire to attempt to control our destiny. The great American society can only prevail if we need if we seed monetary resources downward to the individual brains, hearts, and souls of middle America and small business. The great American piety can only be controlled if we economize the monetary needs, but do not squander or smother them. Government is necessary to percolate our economy, not overregulate it. Government is only necessary to protect the individual rights to be free to think, work, and succeed as the seed for evolutionary growth. Government is necessary to define good, not enforce it. Recognize the good, not divorce it. Organize our defense, not build fences against it. Government must be be founded on the participation of the private sector, not the wasteful and inappropriate nesting of public officials. Government must not exceed the authority of the individual's rights and freedom to choose and live a fruitful life without regard for color, creed, religion, sex, perversion, persuasion, or will to birth with the opportunity to attain an education, a job, a home, a future, and 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 some say in their governance. The following is a repeat of many of the proposals put forth in part one 
of the American Man American Enterprise Manifesto. So you can skim them or reread them and remember them as the foundation of improving Amer the American work ethic. This is the how we can reform our existing government and salvage the enterprise for the sake of, of weaker ethics and human salvage the enterprise for the sake of workers' ethic and human welfare. Number one, the government must be returned to of the people, by the people, for the people. Town hall government is not what we need or want. Two, downsize the government and privatize our institutions so we save our economy. Money is not the reason we work, but the result of our freedom and opportunity succeed on our own free will. Three, give peace a chance. The militarization of our foreign policy must be directed as peacemakers, not peace forsakers. Four, redirect foreign aid to domestic aid to seed our small businesses, the job makers. Five, replace the moniker of lawmakers with job makers by reducing encumberment and confinement of the flow of capital for enterprise design regulations. Six, tax, tax net worth, not 46 different fat facets of the enterprising workers to see the wasteful, dominant, and ineffective and uncaring government. Seven, eliminate the Federal Reserve Bank that gambles taxpayer money to control the economy and destroy supply and demand, save the honor of the dollar and the free market enterprise. Eight, privatize the promotion of, of a healthy America. It is the individual who determines health and welfare, not government. We must stop over-medicating and under-diagnosing health problems and pay for outcomes, not just incomes. Nine, reorganize the electoral process so the majority rules and encourage the expression of the third-party voice as the metal strip of reason between the red and blue party parties, conspiracy of controlling the American people. Ten, elect government officials at all levels based on problem-solving initiatives, not speeches on issues between the red and blue parties domination of our disappearing individual spirit. 11, direct the 50 governors that we want them to take up enterprise over regulations as their banner, eliminating all obstacles to our future GNP and GDP, basing it on enterprise, not taxation, gambling tax, sales and lease back on American property, foreign interests, managed competition and indiscriminate public costs for pensions, perks, and special deals for state officials. In summary, we must act now before we become an impure version of other societies who fail to reverse the dominance of the many by the few. The opportunity is the vitality of the enterprising American, America for the youth, the elderly, the disabled, the dreamers, the entrepreneurs, and the seekers of peace. Therefore, the voter must take a personal interest in and an active part in our governance. The proposed platform of the American Enterprise Party is based on the constitutional rights to pursue individual opportunities for work, education, housing, procreation, lifestyle, and pursuit of happiness. To do this, 50% of Congress and, and the legislature in the, in the country at all levels need to be seated by the private sector. We must move away from any ideology that dissipates our American enterprise. We must honor it for the sake of the individual rights to decide ability to perform, desire to procreate, 
receive equal opportunity for housing, education, and jobs. We must, again, fertilize our economy with the American enterprise principles constituted by Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, Hancock, Franklin, Adams, Henry, etc., as they envisioned there would be new blood infused by the voters so all aspects of the nation would be duly represented. Those rights no longer exist, nor will they until we interject opposing alter alternatives to re replace the race for politics or money ticks. Continuing with chapter seven of part two of the American work ethic, where oh, where has it gone? What will be our legacies? Building pride. What will be the red and blue legacy? Building bigger government. Apathy is worse than sympathy, empathy, allergy, or a short eulogy. Uh, the quotation is from me. Apathy is worse than sympathy, empathy, allergy, or a short eulogy. We need to take a look at our legacy and try to manage it better. So legacy stands for leveraging enterprise that goes against civil enforcement. You must comply with due process, but not be defeated by it. That's the acronym is spelled legacy. The new entitlements are unemployment compensation, workers' compensation, minimum wage, disability, company-paid health care, or government-paid health care, family leave, paid time off, food stamps, welfare, universal health care benefits that we refer to as Obamacare, all designed to drive up labor costs that do not produce a dollar more in sales. All are included in the cost of goods and services that we attempt to sell in a worldwide market, comparing with China, Mexico, Argentina, Japan, Taiwan, India, Pakistan, Russia, South Korea, and other emerging economies that do not have these entitlements. It's not to say that we shouldn't marry capitalism and socialism together so that we can produce earnings and uh, paychecks that will enable people to spend their own money for the, what the, their own needs are instead of giving away uh, the new entitlements without any return on the investment. Many of the American companies have transferred manufacturing and technology services to countries that do not have these entitlements. No matter how much the unions claim that we, we have shipped jobs overseas because of NAFTA or CAFTA or whatever trade agreement we have struck, it is the high cost of these other entitlements that force businesses to seek lower overhead and cheaper labor offshore. While we build up our weaponry instead of our legacy with no value added to our GNP or GDP at the rate of $800 billion per year taken out of the enterprise and more and more is invested in weapons of mass destruction that we never use and hopefully will not. We fall further in debt and farther in the competitive hole. The legacy is more than deficits, lower quality standards, 
It is slipshod processes. It is rationalized government, rationalized government regulations that threaten businesses rather than collaborate for the betterment of our position in the worldwide marketplace. Peace is not our legacy. It is our history and not our current diplomacy. Tactically, we continue to force our different use of taxpayer resources on other countries under the guise of foreign aid and military support. Be it in the Middle East or in Asia, our image has shrunk to that of Germany and Russia in the past. The Soviets, the Third Reich, or the war machines bent on scaring away competition in their quest for control of natural resources and the wealth of the world. As a result, the American work ethic is also being relegated to that of dollars and cents, not quality of life or loyalty to the company. It is based on compensation, work time off, health benefits, and retirement benefits. Less and less is being invested in small business ideas and useful technology that makes the middle class less stressed. Unemployment at the whims of big government initiatives is driving the cost of living out of sight. Workers just want a job to lose so they can claim one year's worth of unemployment benefits then cycle back into the workforce with an attitude that business businesses owe them that privilege. Just give me the right to get injured and I'll file my workman's comp claim and then sue for more than the cost to heal. I personally came from a blue collar and farming heritage and have never filed for unemployment, workman's comp, minimum wage, nor other excuses for non-working, for not working hard. I did come from a relatively uh, low income family in Iowa and my father worked for 32 years for Firestone and finally retired at the age of 64, thinking he would get the benefits that had been promised when they went on strike, only to find out that Firestone was being sold to a Japanese company, Bridgestone. Do I have sympathy for the working poor? No. Do I have sympathy for the working mothers? No. Do I have sympathy for the recovering addict? No. Do I have sympathy for the dried out alcoholic? No. Do I have sympathy for the illegal aliens that work for their families? No. Do I have sympathy for the same-sex marriages? No, but I do respect for I do have respect for them if they are willing to get back up and work for the good of themselves because that is what makes America great. So I, in effect, do have empathy and want all of these different special interest groups to have a be able to pursue the American dream, the land of the free that allows us all to all to take advantage of opportunity and forgiveness of failure by honoring the work ethic, an economic system that forgives debt if the debtor will continue to exert the work ethic for the good of the enterprise system. This is the bankruptcy code that makes America the greatest country in the world because it allows people to fail and restart and pursue the American dream. Continuing with chapter eight of part two, the great American work ethic, where oh, where has it gone? When are we most happy? Building faith and confidence. 
winning lotto, being number one, having a hit record or show, is that when we are the most happy? The acronym for happy is Honest Application Primes Pride and Yield Self-Worth. I got my first job in Indianola, Iowa, delivering newspapers around the town square and to homes on the weekends. After that, the jobs were sacking groceries and pumping gas. So jobs are not only necessary for making a living, they put you into the American enterprise system. This is the American dream, making a living, growing a future, and feeding the family. Work is for the mind as well as the bank account. Getting an education is no is to further develop a skill for a job. The majority, 90% of Americans, regularly work to produce products and services that drives the enterprise wheel. They support the world's economic machine. Our consumerism has made the world wealthy and will continue to do so as long as the American worker is happy, healthy, happy, wealthy, and health, healthy, and we don't allow our, our ideas and technology to be sold and then sold, uh, stolen and then sold back to us. Happiness in the job is not the same as happiness at play. For me, it was the way to advance and pay for material comforts. The job was important to the whole pursuit of love, security, faith, feeling, and feeling whole. Now that is being threatened by the recessions, depression, strikes, and economic roller coaster. And at this moment, the the um, pandemic virus, the um, corona, COVID-19. Our leadership have, have their job security due to wealth, status, social ignorance, and major and the majority's preoccupation with their own problems, most of which are imposed by the the leaders. While our satisfaction with the opportunities in America be destroyed by the system we have ourselves created. What is ethical work? Does a positive work ethic necessarily produce ethical work? Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? The the time or the clock, the air or the wind, God or heaven, here on earth or later? These are the great unanswerable questions. But does it really matter or is it better to work ethically as the reason and ethical outcomes as the result? The means justify the end product. Then we have heaven on earth. If we lived and worked ethically as individuals, the work product would evolve ethically. But the ethical output has to be produced by workers who believe in in ethics. From Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations to the Bible, ethics, principles, honesty, and caring, caring all contribute to economies. Men and women are the vehicle with faith and ambition as the fuel with the engine being the pursuit of happiness, which is the ultimate wealth. The family unit based on an ethical marriage produces ethical offspring who sustain that reason for work. For work is not an option. It is the reason for living with health, happiness, and prosperity as the result. Why then do some sustain that effort and others do not? In a free and market environment, each individual has the responsibility to sustain ethics or suffer dark consequences. Result of the results are always driven by the reason. America is the best example of the need to sustain ethical work for ethical reasons. The so-called American dream is founded on ethical work for ethical 
reasons, the attained dream is the personification of ethical work. How can we define ethical work and ethical workers? Well, ethical work is the product contributing to positive outcomes. Uh, number two, are the ethic, ethical work is the, the tactics consistent with positive human values. Ethical work is the tangible or intangible. Does the product sustain happiness, health, and prosperity? Four, is the end product contributing to the gross national product and national pride? Five, would we miss the product if it were not, if it, if it were for no more? Ethical workers. Number one, the individual who believes in quality of life principles, healthy, happy, and prosperous. Two, the human instinct to pursue our being is the priority, not a bad dream. Three, positive effort is respected and reward is coveted. Four, faith in pursuing positive goals, feeling good about attainment. Five, able to change directions for the sake of others. Six, thinks beyond today's problems by working for solutions. Seven, knows that each worker must desire their fate and live with the consequences. We all must seek and work for our future and not dwell on the past, or we will relive its consequences. When I joined Arthur Anderson and Company, a, a C, CPA firm right out of college, I lacked confidence to a, due to a lack of experience in accounting. Of course, they presumed, presumed that for all new accountants, of course, they presumed that for all new accountants and put us through four-week boot camp where many of the job candidates left before they were pledged into the firm. I served by learning uh, on others, leaning on others for help and encouragement. It was like my first year in football. The freshmen had to help each other just to survive the bigger and better players and scrimmages. This built confidence in my ability to, to survive any situation which carried me through the accounting boot camp, public accounting boot camp. Since then, I have never feared trying something new and challenging, such as starting my own business. My daughter warned me that I should take care of my health because I could not afford to miss work since I was the only worker and provider. At that point, my work ethic never of never missing work in 37 years set in and has been not wavered since. The pursuit of faith and the confidence eluded me for my first five years in auditing because, as I found out later, the job was inhibiting and not very challenging to the creative juices. It was not until I realized that my knowledge in Medicare and Medicaid would carry me far enough, carry me far, that it dawned on me to exercise my entrepreneurial talents. The law of attraction where likes attract likes and dreams sought can be dreams caught became my drive towards an ethical business career and my own business. Continuing with chapter nine, of part two of the American Enterprise Manifesto. The great American work ethic, where oh, where has it gone? How many years of prosperity are left? This is called building, this chapter is about building staying power. 
The whole world wants to retire in America, but retirement cannot support the whole world. The acronym for retire is realize every time innovation repeats, everything gets better. Retirement has been placed by us mentally at 65 years of age if you are are ordinary and sooner if you are financially successful. Our social security system is based on the concept of 65 being too old to work and we should move out of the way for the younger generation. Is it working now with 77 million Americans, the baby boomers, reaching the magical day of fulfillment at the rate of 7,000 per day and are wanting to take it easy? Politically and economically, this end game is backfiring as our entitlements have made promises that cannot be kept. We're finding that it was financially infeasible to have everyone retire. 77 million retire about the same time. Those are the baby boomers. With the overhead of government and the promises of, so- of social welfare, our enterprise machine is running out of steam. Taxes are not the answer because the redistribution of wealth is in effect higher taxes that are not reinvested in the future for any of us. It just funds bigger and bigger government. If we were to fund our evolution and superiority around the world as leaders, not bottom feeders, we must challenge the way our money is being spent. So indulge me in the following exercise. Aging. Is it a science or an art form? Studies on aging process are coming in by the bucket list. Some studies show an increase in longevity and others that predict obesity and disease will cause, chronic disease will cause the life expectancy to start to decline. And in fact, in 2020, it's showing a decline from 70, from 82 slowly to 79. Who is right? What I see are the middle or the telltale signs of Americans not taking responsibility for their own health and their ongoing aging costs. What are our responsibilities and what are the tangible and intangible costs of aging? Responsibilities and current status. Americans need a healthy lifestyle. The first problem is is fitness. 66% of Americans do not exercise even 10 minutes per week. Second problem, nutrition. 45% of Americans do not read the labels on the containers. Uh, the, the next problem, emotional instability. 25% of Americans use some form of mind-altering chemicals called drugs, even prescription drugs. The next problem is stressors. 90% of Americans do not use exercise, relaxation, and meditation in their day. The next problem, sleep deprivation. Average sleep is six hours. Americans need a healthy financial picture. We need to have serious financial under funding for the aging costs. Most Americans only have Social Security pension benefits and little or no long-term care insurance. It says Americans need a healthy financial picture. There's a serious financial under underfunding for the aging costs. Most Americans only have Social Security pension benefits and little or no long-term care insurance. And they also have no financial plan for nursing home care or declining health care costs. And the baby boomers are going on to Medicare at the rate of 10000 per day. Problems. Americans in general do not have healthy lifestyles. Problem one, most Americans ride everywhere. They are generally not fit. Little if no walking is required in our society. 
studies show that 15 to 20 minutes per day of brisk walking will prevent many maladies and improve the longevity by 20%, yet no one walks anywhere unless they have to. Problem two, most Americans eat whatever is put in front of them without regard for nutritional content or side effects on their health. Obesity, a disease of the mind that affects all of the body's functions, is a growing health problem due to the American lifestyle. It is rippling to our next generation. Problem three, most Americans do not get enough sleep and use medication for rest and relaxation. And that includes alcohol and drugs. Problem four, most Americans have 40 to 50 hour week per week jobs and other time demanding activities resulting in stressful 14 to 16 hour days. And now the both the breadwinners are the husband and the wife and the children. Problem five, 50% of Americans are getting divorced. Problem six, most Americans do not prepare for the aging process. Getting old is for someone else, and I will worry about it if it happens to me someday. Studies show there are more young people with diabetes, heart conditions, plugged arteries, shortness of breath, osteoporosis, joint diseases, emotional instabilities, and social maladies, etc., than ever. As these people exacerbate the disease with weight problems, the hospital nursing homes are not far away. This happened during the recent COVID-19 um, pandemic, where most of the deaths were in the age category of over 65 and or in nursing homes and or uh, those younger people that had chronic diseases. And it's 125 Americans have some one or more chronic diseases. Problem, most Americans have some one else paying for their insurance, health insurance, and are not responsible for funding the services to treat their poor lifestyle. This builds an overutilization of a cost-based healthcare system. The economists say what the uh, Americans will will be more concerned about the cost if they internalize the cost themselves, or in other words, they they pay the bill. When they externalize it, and then someone else pays the bill, they don't take responsibility for lowering the cost, being more healthy, knowing what it, what it costs to be healthy. Problem eight, the government is administering 80% of the healthcare benefits for only 60% of the resources needed to pay for an aging and unhealthy population. This is catching up with this, the state Medicaid programs and now want to ration healthcare for the, for the poor and those that have run out of money. Medicare is using enforcement and fear to keep their costs down. Solution. Lifestyles come from, come more easily with a system to follow. Damn, excuse me. Solution. Lifestyles come more easily with a system to follow. Aging needs to be a science rather than an art. Number one, there needs to be a personal commitment to health as a lifestyle. Two, there needs to be a professional, be professional help to set up programs for fitness, nutrition, relaxation activities, vacation, sleep patterns, family counseling for troubles in marriage, etc. These costs can be controlled and paid for by the individual, not the bureaucracy. 
Three, there needs to be standardized benefit structure for the personal health care needs paid for by the individual, not a remote case manager deciding to say no for the, for the payment. Four, there needs to be an economic incentive, incentive, economic incentives for getting to the above three moral incentives, incentives to preserve health and pursue outcomes for unhealthy Americans. This all relates to tax incentives for investing in a healthy lifestyle. For example, tax deduction for fitness centers, nutritional counseling, fitness equipment, personal trainers, marriage counselors, and sleep studies and therapeutic devices, and screening for respiratory, urinary, bone, arterial, mental, and environmental problems. Five, life expectancy planning and health preservation services then become the mode of managing costs and benefits. They are the new enterprises. Capital investment and return for earnings should be based on outcomes, not everyone's incomes. Right now, the life expectancy is a turkey shoot and the costs are fraught with waste and corruption, while the providers are paid for input, which is diagnosis and, and prescription drugs and encounters, not outcomes, which relate to preserving health and preventing chronic disease. Six, there is an overutilization of the benefits by the unhealthy because the individual costs of health care are external to the person utilizing them and, and the healthy pay for the unhealthy in the billions of dollars that further destroy the work ethic. To uh, wrap up uh, chapter nine on uh, building longevity, some quotable quotes. We used to think there is nothing you can do about aging. You just age. Now there's a feeling that it might be possible to slow it down. Key aging concepts. Aging isn't a disease, it's a process. You need to know about the biological clock, oxidation, and genes to manage the process. So it is a diet for living longer, exercise for living better, and mental balance for living well. Another quote, slow cooking, not fast Fast foods is the fuel for a longer-lasting engine. Fruits, vegetables, red wine, dark chocolate, vitamins E, D, A, protein replacement, restraint from sugar, salt, and white-based products. Portion control are for calorie control. The whole objective is to reduce the incidence of obesity, which, of course, is as much of a mental disease as a health disease. Exercise is for the smoother running engines, another quote. Cardio stimulation, strength training, resistance exercises, aggressive walking, deep breathing, yoga, stretching, meditation, etc. A study was conducted at a nursing home in Orange City, Florida, 19 men and women with an average age of 89, most of whom used wheelchairs to get around and did just 10 minutes of strength training per week. After 14 weeks, almost everybody was out of their wheelchairs. One woman moved into independent living. The results were published in uh, Mature Fitness. If this is true for the elderly for 10 minutes per week, what would it take to get 20% to 30% 
improvement for all ages. And then for uh, my own health and fitness program, I've always exercised. I am now approaching or moving towards 81 and was able to do 80 push-ups without intervention on my last birthday, and I plan to keep doing that. Along with my wife and I do yoga. We do her leg exercises to strengthen her knees. Uh, we dance every week, sometimes two or three times a week. Uh, I do some weight training, the elliptical, the uh, treadmill. And that's why my, my son calls me an exercise freak. But it's really paying off because I don't have any medications and I don't really have any uh, health problems. My wife has a pacemaker for a congenital condition, and we hoped, and we've been married 60 years uh, this last November. And uh, we both are wanting to break the world's record on length of marriage, which is 93, or happily die trying. The other quote was use balance of work, relaxation, and sleep for your, your 168 hours per week, 40 hours of work. 40 hours of relaxation, 48 hours of sleep, 40 hours for study and family relationships. When you look at it this way, we have plenty of time for fitness, exercise, and wellness activities if we use our time more effectively, like put a priority on exercise for living a longer and better life. No excuses accepted. <clears throat> this uh, book proposes a different approach for aging in America with Propose structural changes and broader thinking on processes. Without those that are aging, rethinking their life, we're relegating, we're relegated to theories imposed by the government. This is the worst possible resolution, with mass numbers of citizens being warehoused in end-of-life care, being rationed out if they were as if they were on soil at green. Remember this 1973 sci-fi movie with Charlton Heston's Recycling Aging America Due to Overpopulation and Pollution. That sums up uh, healthcare in America in Chapter 9. Continuing with Chapter 10 of Part 2, The Great American Work Ethic, Where or Where Has It Gone? Give us work or give us debt, building ethical success. An acronym for work would be want offers capital resources kindled. Jobs acronym joy of being someone. And capital coordinates aptitudes, promotes innovation towards action for leverage. Work, jobs, and capital. We have institutionalized the enterprise with big government, public sector dominance, and borrowing our capital. We are dominated by the academic issues rather than the problems than problem solving. The majority of voters are not empowered to find a reasonable candidate nor party. It is time for the private sector to take back the enterprise and capitalize on the resurrected work ethic. The will of the many shall overcome the restrictive rules of the few or we are killing entrepreneurial spirit and economies in, our intent, in their intent. Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, 1776, I quote, 
the general industry of the society never can exceed what the capital of the society can employ, as the number of workmen that can be kept in employment by any particular person must bear a certain proportion to his capital. So the number of those that can be continually employed by all the members of the great society must bear a certain proportion to the to the whole capital of that society and never can exceed that proportion. No regulation of commerce can increase the quality of industry in any society beyond what its capital can maintain. It can only divert a part of it into different a, into a direction into which it might not otherwise have gone, and it is by no means certain that this artificial direction is likely to be more advantageous to society than that into which it would have gone of its own accord. To finish off this uh, episode, I'll read you a poem that I wrote. Success at last. What is success? Is it the man or woman who climbs the highest mountain or the woman who swims the widest sea? Or is it the team that somehow wins or the person who stands amid fame and fortune? Or is it possible it's you or me? Let's take a look and see. Are you good at what you do? So you take pride in living. Are you bright instead of blue? And do you get joy from giving? Are you an open book with passages to be read? Inviting a passerby's look, even when you're dead. Will your children be proud to say, that's my mom and dad. They helped me, they helped put me on my way and taught me good from bad. If you can honestly say these things, I feel you certainly can confess that what your life brings is an ethical success at last.